Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we recap the week that was, which included the beginnings of the Q4 corporate reporting season and challenges for equity investors. We will also cover what the road ahead for equity returns might look like and how to be positioned in the current environment and some points of interest to look out for in the week ahead. So joining us for today's conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Matt, good morning to you. Happy Friday. Welcome back and looking forward to our conversation today. Hey, good morning, Dan, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, Matt, at this point, as we all know, 2022, it has gotten off to a challenging start for equity investors following what was an exceptional year for returns, thinking back to 2021. So I'm curious to hear from your vantage point, Matt, what factors have been driving the selling pressure, which indeed has continued this week, even this morning. What have you picked up on in the way of rotational trends as well? Yeah. So like you mentioned, 2022 has definitely kept investors on their toes to start off the year as the S&P 500 is down six and a half percent from its most recent high on the first trading day of the year. And the NASDAQ is now in correction territory after falling 10% from its recent peak. And we think there have been a few key drivers of this selling pressure. So first, a lot of the weakness we've been seeing in markets follows the release of the minutes from the December FOMC meeting, which provided a more hawkish tone than most investors were anticipating. And in response, yields have moved higher with the 10-year Treasury yield already up as much as 30 basis points to roughly 1.8% or so since the start of the year. And the market is now pricing in a very high chance of a rate hike occurring in March, with multiple hikes likely to occur throughout the course of the year. Second, inflation prints have remained very elevated, with the latest CPI figure coming in at a 40-year high. So although the current 7% year-over-year rate is worrisome, we don't think this level is sustainable, and we expect we may be nearing a peak in the coming months. But regardless, higher-than-expected inflation has definitely caught investors and the Fed slightly off guard. And finally, growth stock valuations started off the year at quite elevated levels, and relative to value stocks, their premium was near its post.com bubble high. So growth stocks, which have been driving the majority of the contribution to the S&P 500 return over the last two years, were vulnerable if we did start to see a faster rise in interest rates, which we have been seeing. So the selling pressure has definitely led to some rotational trends. Most obviously, value stocks have, and we expect to continue to benefit from rising interest rates. And so far this year already, value stocks have outperformed growth stocks by over 7.5%. Within sectors, tech, real estate, and consumer discretionary have been the biggest laggards, which shouldn't come as a huge surprise as they do tend to be negatively correlated with higher interest rates. And financials, which are the most positively correlated to higher rates, are the second best performing sector so far this year after energy, which is already up 15% as oil prices have continued to grind higher. Well, thank you, Matt. That was very helpful hearing some context, the factors that have been driving equity market returns over the past two to three weeks. So you have to wonder, based on what we've been witnessing within equity markets and 
It sounded like from your comments alluded to that the macro tide will turn a bit, but has CIO's outlook for equity returns over the first half of 2022, has that changed at all? Or has your outlook, which you've previously conveyed, remained intact? And how should investors be thinking about growth versus value? So we do continue to have a constructive view on equities over the first half of the year. And our June 2022 S&P 500 price target of 5000 does imply a roughly 11.5% return from here. And although there have been a few key drivers causing the volatility we've been seeing already this year, including the potential for tighter monetary policy and high levels of inflation, there are still bright spots. So for starters, the consumer does remain in really good shape with household balance sheets remaining flushed with cash, and spending should remain well-supported by plentiful jobs, rising wages, and over $2 trillion of excess savings. And I know we'll talk about earnings season a little bit later, but one early takeaway is that companies are still experiencing strong demand, and it's really the supply side that needs to see improvements in order to catch up. Also, the COVID-19 situation appears to be improving, especially here in the northeast part of the U.S., as daily new cases appear to be rolling over quite sharply. And finally, corporate profit growth remains on solid footing, and we expect earnings for the S&P 500 to grow 12% this year and another 9% next year, which are both higher than bottom-up consensus expectations. So when it comes to thinking about growth and value, we continue to have a preference for value stocks, even in light of the sharp decline growth stocks have recently experienced. And as we just discussed, the sell-off has been primarily driven by higher interest rates. And this is a negative for growth stocks because growth companies often produce most of their cash flow out into the future. So they are more sensitive to rising interest rates relative to companies that are solidly profitable now. On the other hand, value stocks benefit from higher interest rates as they drive greater profitability, especially for the banks, and they have tended to crimp growth valuations, which looked quite lofty at the start of this recent sell-off. So outside of our preference for value over growth, we also prefer mid-caps over large caps, which do tend to outperform in a rising rate environment as well. And among sectors, we maintain our most preferred views on consumer discretionary, energy, financials, in healthcare, which is our preferred defensive sector, and we have least preferred views on consumer staples and utilities. Thank you, Matt. And for hitting on those sector preferences, very helpful. So you did mention earnings a few moments ago. Maybe now we can pivot a bit and focus the conversation on Q4 results. I know your team recently released a Q4 earnings preview note. Uh, that title is The Beat Goes On. Within that piece, it suggests that estimates look too conservative. So what are your expectations, Matt, for earnings growth? And how disruptive or impactful do you believe the Omicron variant of COVID-19 will be to results? Right. So, yeah, when earnings season began, the bottom-up consensus estimate was looking for about a 3% decline in the fourth quarter EPS number relative to the third quarter number. And this did look too conservative in our view because economic activity actually did pick up during the quarter. Holiday spending was strong, wages continued to rise, and the surveys of business activity remained strong. So if we take this into account, along with the fact that seasonally the fourth quarter EPS number is usually 1% to 2% higher than the third quarter number, we think it's fair to expect earnings to beat expectations. So when it comes to the Omicron variant, it has been impacting businesses, although at the market level, strong consumer spending and revenue growth continues to offset a lot of the impact 
and margins have still been pretty resilient. So we're seeing the Omicron variant really affect labor availability in certain industries as people call in sick, and in some instances is even leading to stores being unable to open. And it's also having a further impact on supply chains, which aren't showing too many signs of improvement, depending on what data set you're looking at. So as a result, cost pressures remain on both the labor and input cost side. But if some of the trends we are seeing on the COVID-19 front continue to improve, then we should see further normalization throughout the course of the year as supply comes back into balance with demand. So, Matt, we are in the early days of Q4 reporting. We are wrapping up the first official week. Many earnings reports ahead of us, but just curious to hear your thoughts on the first week of results, how they've been coming in relative to the team's expectations heading in. Yeah, so we are wrapping up on the first week of the fourth quarter earnings season, and I'd say so far the results have been pretty solid. So we're only about 14% of the way through the S&P 500 market cap, but 75% of companies are beating sales and earnings estimates. In an aggregate, earnings are beating by 5.5%, which is slightly shy of our expectations for a 7% beat, although this current beat rate is strong relative to the average that we did see during the five years preceding the onset of the pandemic. And corporate profit growth and revenue growth continue to be quite impressive, with corporate profits currently growing around 21%, but we expect the final number to be close to the 30% by the time earnings season is over. So as it typically is, the large cap banks did dominate the first week of earnings season. And I'd say there were really three key themes, both on the positive and negative side that emerged. So starting with the positives, first, revenue has improved and the outlook for top line growth throughout the year looks solid as interest rates are likely to rise and loan growth picks up. Second, Credit does remain benign, and we'd expect to see a normalization in delinquencies and loan losses after historically low levels, but this will take some time to play out. And third, bank balance sheets remain healthy with robust excess liquidity and strong capital positions. Now, just quickly touching on the three negatives. First, expenses remain elevated with investments in technology ramping up and compensation and labor costs rising as banks seek to hire and retain talent. Second, Trends in trading and capital markets activity are normalizing, but this is understood by a lot of analysts who are already incorporating this into their models. And lastly, regulatory risks are rising as new personnel is put into place at key agencies, and these individuals are likely to take a tougher stance on oversight, which could lead to higher compliance costs over time. But overall, we do think the backdrop remains constructive for financials and as I mentioned earlier, we do continue to have a most preferred view on the sector. Thank you, Matt, for sharing your observations, takeaways from week one. So, all right, at this point, maybe we can shift the conversation, look ahead to next week. Uh, what will be taking place, Matt, that you will be monitoring? So next week's calendar between economic data and earnings season really ramping up will definitely be keeping us and other investors busy. So first, starting on Monday, We'll receive a preliminary reading for the manufacturing and services market PMIs for January. And it looks like consensus is expecting a slight slowdown from the prior month, although the indices should remain comfortably in expansionary territory. On Tuesday, the conference board's consumer confidence survey is set to be released and expectations are pointing towards the decline, which likely reflects the impact on the economy from the Omicron variant. 
And we'll also get another gauge on manufacturing activity with the latest reading from the Richmond Fed Manufacturing Index. So moving to Wednesday, the January FOMC meeting will be taking place, and we'll be keeping an eye on Fed Chair Powell's press conference for any further clues he may be able to provide on what the path of future rate hikes and overall monetary policy may look like. On housing, we'll get the final December reading for building permits and new home sales. Turning to Thursday, a lot of data sets in the tape, including the first reading on fourth quarter GDP, durable goods orders for December, pending home sales, continuing and initial jobless claims, and the January reading for the Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index. And wrapping up with Friday, we'll receive the final January reading from the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Survey, another read on inflation with core PCE for December, and an update on personal income and personal spending. So outside of updates on the economy, next week is set to be one of the busiest weeks of earnings season. And we'll hear from a number of the bellwether companies across many of the sectors. And as we discussed earlier, we'll be continuing to monitor what these companies saying about the overall outlook. Are they adjusting guidance? And if so, what they be driving these adjustments and any color they may be able to provide on how inflation, supply chain disruptions, and the Omicron variant are impacting their businesses. Okay, so a lot to track next week with earnings, macro data. We shall see how it translates to market activity. Though, Matt, great catching up with you this morning. As always, uh, thank you for lending the time, sharing your insights, and joining us here on the podcast. Wish you a nice weekend, and look forward to picking back up with our conversation again soon. Thanks, Dan, and have a good weekend, everyone. And again today, we've been joined by Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the Q4 earnings preview note, which Matt Tormey had referenced during our conversation. Again, that title, The Beat Goes On. Also on a related note, David Lefkowitz, head of Equities Americas with the Chief Investment Office, just released a blog, A Cathartic Flush, which talks about reflections on how equities have begun the year and how that translates to CIO's longer-term outlook for equity returns. So both of those pieces, again, available on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Though for clients of UBS, please be sure to contact your financial advisor if you would like to receive copies directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways 
companies and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.